Good morning. The scripture reading for this morning's sermon is in the books, book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I don't know what page it's on. 9 in the Black Bibles, uh, Black Pew, Pew Bibles. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. So we started a series, a short summer series, a couple weeks ago. We are calling Six Questions Christians Ask. Don't try to say that too fast. And we are covering some of the questions that are most challenging in the Christian life. So if you're a believer, even if you're not a believer, you you look at these questions and you go, this is a stumbling block to me. This is a a problem to me. So we're trying to answer those as best we can for your help, for the help of those who may want to join the church, come into the church, and trust the church again. Uh, Before we get to it this morning, let's pray together. God, thanks for your abundant mercies. You have given us all things. You have given us the sun and the moon and the stars. You've given us music and poetry. God, you've given us our very lives. May we remember that this morning as we go to hear again your word. These are your words revealed to us supernaturally. May we heed them. May we learn from them. And may we trust you as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to tell you my only Christian joke. This may be the only time I ever tell a joke to start a sermon, so drink it in. There's a guy, and he's shipwrecked on a deserted island. He's alone. But at some point, he's rescued. Years later, he's, he's found, and he's rescued. And the people who rescue him... They're on the island with him, and they're, they're, they're noticing all the stuff that he has on the island. And they notice that he has three, what look like three dwellings. One, two, three, like houses, homes. And they say, so we notice that you have these dwellings. What are they for? The man replied, oh, oh well, that one there, that's, that's where I lived. That's where I would sleep and eat and drink. That one there is where I would go to church. And they said, well, what was the third one for? And he replied, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. You church hop. We jump from church to church. The problem, though, is that we've stopped hopping from church to church, our culture, and we've just hopped away from it all together. Maybe they're not even hopping at all. Maybe some of us that you know, people that you know, friends and family, 
have never even walked into a church. The world seems to be asking, and to a large degree has answered this question, why bother with the church? Why join with a community of believers? Why get up early on a Sunday morning when you could go golfing, read the paper, run a 5K, go to the beach? Today would be an awesome beach day, am I right? Why do that? Why rub shoulders with people who seem to be so self-righteous, who are hypocritical know-it-alls? Why share your life, your money, your kids, your concern, your fears with a people that do not seem all that trustworthy? Why bother with the church? Barna did a survey recently, and they said that the number of unchurched people in America would make up the most the eighth most populous country in the world. In the past decade, more people in the U.S. have become churchless than live in Australia or Canada. In other words, much of our own country has not only asked the question, why bother with church, but have asked it rhetorically. What is the purpose of church? Why do you go? They don't even ask it for themselves. There's the other side of this question, though. It's not just those people who are churchless. There are those who are inside of the church, those who are Christians. They claim to follow Christ. People who have attended church or attend regularly, and they have begun to ask the same question. Maybe you find yourself in this camp. Why is church necessary? It seems more a hindrance to my faith than a necessary thing to make it go. Why go to worship services? Why join small groups? Why in the world would I become a member of a church? And it's because many have been hurt by the church. Many have been burned by leadership in the church. Why should churchgoers, why should believers in Jesus Christ bother with the church. And so we're trying to ask that question. It's a, it's a big question from two different sides this morning. And I hope to give you something of a new vision, a, a, an extension of a, a vision that we are trying to promote here at Grace Point. We do not have it down. We are not perfect. In some ways, I'm talking about things this morning that we want to become. But if we can, man, it is glorious. So we're going to talk about it in three points this morning. One, Sorry, why bother with the church? One, because of what it is. Two, because of what it does. And three, maybe you shouldn't. Why bother with the church? Number one, because of what it is. Because of what it is. How you relate to a church has a lot to do with how you define the church. How you relate to church has a lot to do with how you define it, how you think about it. And this goes for anything, right? If you define something out there, you're going to relate to it that way. The definition counts. There was, the, there was a TV guide or a, a newspaper, and it was list, had the listings for the upcoming TV shows and uh, movies for that week or that month. And they described a, a certain classic movie this way. Transported to a surreal landscape, a young girl kills the first person she meets and then teams up with three strangers to kill again. What movie am I describing? The Wizard of Oz. That's how they described it. 
And it's true, right? A girl, a surreal landscape, a killing, three friends, and they do kill again. That's true. But that's not what the movie is about. Not really. How you define something is imperative to your relationship to it. And this goes for churches too. So what is a church? What is a church? Well, let's talk about what it's not. The church is not a building. The church is not a building. No, that's the way we talk about it, right? I'm headed over to the church. Where's the prayer meeting? It's at the church. So when we first moved into this building, we did a lot of maintenance on it, a lot of restoration. And so my wife and I spent a lot of time here. And one Monday, which is my day off, we pulled into the parking lot just to drop some stuff off. But the second we did, my kids started wailing and moaning and they yelled at me, not the church again. Is the church a building? No. No matter how small it is or how big it is, I I have stood dead center in St. Peter's Basilica and there's nothing more amazing. There's no more amazing church in the world. And you would think, well, that's the church. No, not even that. So is the church a denomination? Now, we're not part of a denomination, Grace Point. We're what we call interdenominational or non-denominational. But most churches are. Most churches are joined together with thousands and thousands of other churches under the direction and leadership of some head, some corporate body. They're guided. They are guarded, aided by that denomination. So is a denomination a a church? Is the Southern Baptist Church, is that a, a church? Is the Southern Baptist, is the, sorry, is the Presbyterian Church in America, is, is that a church? No, that's not a church. When the Bible talks about a church, it's thinking about something different. It's referring to something different. Paul especially has in mind something different when he mentions a church. Whenever you see that word in the Bible, we get it from the word ecclesia. That's a Greek word, and it means simply assembly, or maybe you could say gathering. But you know that the The church is not just any sort of assembly. It's not any sort of gathering. The church is the local assembly of the people of the triune God. Hear that again. The church is simply the local assembly of the people of the triune God. So we are not an assembly of factory workers. We're not an assembly of competitive eaters. No, we are an assembly of the people of the triune God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When Paul addresses the church in Corinth, when he writes that letter to them, what does he say? He says, to the church of God in Corinth. You hear that? He doesn't say to the church of Corinth of God. No, he says to the church of God that is basically in Corinth. That is where you meet. The church is of God. It is defined completely by its relationship to him. Now, the reason that I said that, it's, that we are an assembly, that a local church is an assembly of the people of the triune God is because the church in the Bible is often defined by its relationship to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can break it out. So it's an assembly of the Father. This is because we are his adopted children. We are saved, the Bible says, to be brought in to his family, to the family of God. And we know this especially at the end of eternity. Men and women and children will walk into the glorious kingdom of God because they are his sons and daughters. That is how he will see his people in heaven. 
He will look down on his worshipers and he will see his own children. And that's why one of the reasons we call our church a family. A family. It is a family under the fatherhood of God. What about Jesus? How do we relate to Jesus? The Bible says that we are sons of daughters in God only by virtue of our relationship with Jesus. Paul says that we are in Christ. Galatians 3.26 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The church is it's relation it's related to Jesus. It is defined by her relationship to Christ. We are one in him. The reason that we meet together is because we find our common belief in him. We find our common righteousness in him. So Saul, you remember Saul, he eventually became Paul. His life started out very differently. When he started his life out He was the best Jew in the world. And then he started to persecute the Christian church. He was persecuting the followers of Jesus. But then Jesus meets him on the road to save him, right? On the Damascus road, he he appears to him in blinding light. And he says, he doesn't say, why are you persecuting the church? That's not what he says. He says, why are you persecuting me? In Jesus' mind, the church and Jesus were one in the same. The church is so united with Jesus. They are known by him. They are marked by him. And so this means something very beautiful, very amazing. The church, Jesus loves the church. He sees the church, Paul says, as his bride. The bride whom he died for and is now washing and cleaning and making whole. Jesus loves the assembly of the people of God. He cherishes them. Listen to Ephesians 5.26. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We are one in Jesus Christ primarily because he loves us. What about the Holy Spirit? Brian did such a good job unpacking who the Spirit is last week. Well, how do we relate as the church to the Spirit? Well, we can say two things about it. We can say that by the Spirit, by his indwelling, we have comfort and we have power. We have comfort and we have power. Acts 9.31 says this, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and, Sam- Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. The church is being built up. Walking in the fear of the Lord and what? In the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. The church is not alone. The church was dwelled by the Spirit. He rested with the people. He was active with the people and they were comforted by him. But he was not just comforting. He was having dramatic effect on the body. Acts 2.43, which we're going to cover a little bit more in a second, says this. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That is the work 
of the Spirit of God. And where the Spirit is, there is life. Where the Spirit is, there is power. A church is only a church when the Spirit is having its effect on the people of God. We had some friends over a couple, about a year ago, and the kids wanted me to bring out my model rocket, just a simple rocket that I had built with my son, Max. And so we took it out to the middle of this field that we have right next door to us. And we put this little engine in, and we stuffed the whatever together, and we five, four, and hit the button, and it shoots up. Have you ever seen something like that? And the parachute comes out, and the kids run after it, and they catch it. And of course, when they come back, they say, do it again. Well, the problem is I did not have any more of the same engine type that I had before. I just had these more powerful engines that I had never tested before. But I'm like, whatever, let's, let's go for it. And we put it in there, do the whole thing again. Five, four, bam, we never saw the thing again. <laughs> I think the church should kind of be like that. Not that we never see it again, but that the church is powerful. When the Spirit of God is working in a body of believers, it will be a sight to behold, powerful, untamed, breathtaking, happy. If all this is true, then a church should not just be a nice thing, but a necessary thing. Sam Alberry says this about a local church. He's a British pastor. He says this, Lacking a church is not equivalent to lacking a decent supermarket or movie theater. It is like lacking a hospital or source of water. It is an utter necessity. Is that true? Is a church not like a movie theater, but a hospital? Not like a business, but a source of water. Can a church be that way? A a source of such power and joy and light and freedom that not having it would be a really bad thing. And I would say yes, but only when it is living out this last part of the definition of a church. The church ultimately is an embassy of grace. It is an embassy of grace. In other words, churches are full of people who have been given something they do not earn. That is when the Spirit is most active, when her people understand that and are living it out. They have been blessed with something they could never have worked for. They have been given something they do not deserve, the free gift of salvation. Churches at their core are places of grace. I love how Ray Ortland puts it. He says that as you walk into a church, it should be like walking into a waterfall of grace. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me is not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Churches are embassies, they are outposts of grace. God has been gracious to us and now we exist in the space between earth and heaven shining out this light of grace. My wife and I got into an argument the other day and it was started by me. It was my fault, 100%, completely. I said something stupid as I often do. And I went to her because she was angry at me as she should have been, right? And I looked at her and I said, I, I, 
I, I tried to be as humble as I, I could, and I said, Honey, I need you to give me something I do not deserve. I need you to give me your forgiveness and acceptance. And she did. That is the song of the church of God. We are living a living reflection of his grace. He has given us all of, Christ's, all of his treasures at Christ's expense. And this means something important. And it means something for, important for our question this morning. Why bother with the church? We must say, we must live into the reality that we are a bunch of imperfect people. Right? Can I get an amen? We are sinners, broken, messed up. Even though we are saved, we still sin. And so if you come into a church expecting all of us to have it together, guess again. If you expect us to not be self-righteous or argumentative or frustrating or annoying, oh no, we will be. Here is where we must be different. And I hope that we are growing in this. We know it. We know how messed up we are. We know how far we have to go but we are here because we know we are being cleansed by Jesus Christ. And so this means at the base level that everyone is welcome into this body. Everyone is welcome here. I love the title of this book about the church, No Perfect People Allowed. The local church is an assembly of the triune God of heaven and earth that exists entirely by and for his grace. Why bother with the church? Because it is the only place where you will be accepted as you are. And the only place where you will find freedom with God and live into the purpose you have on this earth. Okay, point number two. Why bother with the church for what it does? For what it does. There's a section at the beginning of Ephesians. We're actually going to be doing the book of Ephesians come the fall. We're going to walk through it slowly. So at the beginning, there's a prayer. Paul loves to do these prayers in the middle of his letters, and he's praying for the church out loud. And it's, when you read it, at the end of it, he's, he's trying to talk to them and pray for them, and he's trying to get them to say, I'm praying for you that you would know the gospel. Very simply, that you would remember and believe the gospel. But then, then, he, then he, at the end, he throws in this thing where he essentially says, Jesus Christ gave the church to the world as a gift. And how I see that is Jesus Christ gave the church for us. It is not just for those out there, but for us too. We ask the question, why church? Why bother with the church? And the answer is that Jesus gave it to us as a gift. Why? Why is it a gift for us? Well, for what it does. When a church is acting in line with the character of God, it is a joy and a help. And so I just want to quickly walk through what the early church looked like. It should not look much different today. So Emily read it for us this morning, Acts 2, 42 through 47. I'm just going to say three things about it. Let's go do number one. The church is devoted to the truth. The church should be devoted to the truth. Acts 2, 42 says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So if you know anything about the book of Acts, this is the time directly after the people began to come to Christ. Peter had preached right after Pentecost and people came in the thousands to Jesus. 
It's not surprising then that they would devote themselves to the teachings of the apostles, to learning about the faith. We do this when we find anything fascinating. iPhones, the Civil War, a new love interest. But listen, the, the disciples did not just learn about it. What does it say? They devoted themselves to it. They devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles. In other words, they took what they were saying and they adopted it on into their lives. They took it on. They accepted a truth outside of themselves and made it their own. But the apostles' teaching was not just, just about the apostles. Now, who were they were teaching? They were teaching Christ. They taught his teachings, his life, his gospel. Here was a truth that in many ways was cold water. Refreshing, but also uncomfortable. This is the truth that must be believed and lived out. It can't be adapted. It can't be changed. It is a truth that demands that you change your life. A truth that makes you believe it, all of it or none of it. The church offers the world the unmitigated, unadulterated truth of God. And at least on the surface of it, I got to tell you, that is not too compelling today. That we would offer an objective truth. That is not how the world thinks about truth. Today, truth is what you make of it, right? Truth is your reality. But I think that we need to stay here for many reasons. But maybe one of the main ones is because eventually that truthless world will become unsatisfying. Truthlessness is unsatisfying. We are creatures who long for purpose. We long for the story to make sense. We want there to be a reason for our work, for our lives. And that is what the church offers. When you enter into the church, you enter smack dab in the middle of the greatest story in the world. And you are told there is meaning to your life. The church is devoted to truth. The church is devoted to community. Acts 2.42 again, look at it. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking bread of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Fellowship's the only word that Christians use, right? It just means, though, when we get together, when we gather together as the body of Christ. That's what they were doing. They were meeting together, living life together. Verse 46 says it more plainly. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. That is amazing. Daily, together, arm in arm, going to worship, living life out together. And they were just living the reality of the love of God. The natural move of the family of God is to share more and more life together with each other. Churches should be devoted to community, rich, deep life together, community that protects. Community that encourages. Community that forgives and loves. Community that helps people to grow up. Community that is fun. Community that gives. Maybe the most striking thing about this passage is how the people related to their wealth. After Jesus came, after they gave their lives to Christ, they related to their money in very dramatic, radical ways. Listen to verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. A lot of people look at this and they go, look, communism, communism. 
No, it wasn't communism because it wasn't forced. This is something the people did out of the abundance of love that was given to them from their hearts. It was the natural outcropping of love God had shown them. When they received the love of God, their priorities changed. They didn't stop owning houses. They still went to houses. But their houses did not own them. They did not stop owning property, but their property did not own them. What owned them was the love poured out from them to others. What is our pitch to those who don't believe? What is our pitch to those who don't want anything to do with the church? It's not, you might hear a good lecture. It's not, you know, our church has good music. It's not, we have a great kids program. No, it's, you can be part of our family. We will love and support you. We will even give our money to help you. The church should be devoted to community. Last thing, the church worships. The church, wor- church worships. Verse 42 says that they devoted themselves to prayer. Later it says they praised God together daily. So that's worship. Saying with heart and mind that you devote your life to God. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And that's what we're doing right now, right? We are hearing the word of God preached and we are trying to love him. We're singing songs and praying prayers and listening to the scripture read. But that's not the only thing worship is. Worship is not just singing and praying. Worship is ultimately a lifestyle. It is loving something so much that your whole life is centered on it. And for that reason, worship is formation. It is formation. It is ordering our lives in line with the holiness of God. So in other words, we gather together. We gather together as a people to become like him. One of the points I could have made this morning from why bother with church was simply because the Bible says so. Why should you go to church? Because the Bible tells you to. Hebrews 10, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It is when you meet together with others in worship, you are formed and shaped and made like Christ. The author of Hebrews says that we are encouraged to keep the faith, to become like Jesus. And we do so looking towards the day, the day when he finally returns. And listen, in a world where people are constantly looking to change, they want to get better. They want to grow. The church offers the most meaningful solution. It offers freedom, peace, and purpose with God. People are longing to worship. Why bother with the church? Why bother with the church? Because of what it does. What it should do. Last point this morning. Why bother with the church? Maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't. Entering into the community of God is unlike anything else. It's any, like not joining an archery club or institution. 
and is the church of the triune God that exists by His grace. But listen, it is not for the faint of heart. It is not for the lukewarm. Maybe you shouldn't bother with the church. The church will humble you. If you come in and really enter it the way you should, the church will humble you. That is the only way you can truly take part in a church. You must come in and say from, your, from the bottom of your heart, my needs are sacrificed. My needs are not the most important ones. My likes and dislikes are not the most important ones. And then you have to say as you enter, as we were talking about, I must live entirely by grace. I can't just expect my friends and family to do that. I must say it for myself. I must believe it for myself. I am a sinner. I am literally no better than anyone else. C.S. Lewis had to learn this. He came to faith later in his life, and he didn't understand, even though he believed in God, he believed the gospel, why he had to go to church and, as he said, listen to sixth-rate music. Listen to what he said. I thought that I could do it on my own, by retiring to my rooms and reading theology, and I wouldn't go to the churches. But as I went on, I saw the great merit of it. I came up against a different people of quite different outlooks and different education. And then gradually my conceit began peeling off. I realized that the hymns, were just, which were just sixth-rate music, were nevertheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in an elastic side boots in the opposite pew. And then you realize that you are not fit to clean even those boots. When you enter into the church, you are no longer known by what you were before. You are not known by your money, by your education, by your looks, by your achievements. You are known entirely by your baptism, your death, and rebirth into Jesus. You are known as the foremost sinner with the foremost Savior. Watch out because the church will humble you. Two, the church will ask you to die. This is, comes quickly after this. So a couple weeks ago that suffering doesn't end when you become a Christian. Some people think that. Well, if I become a believer in God, then he'll protect me from all things. It's actually the opposite. Sometimes you will suffer more. And, the, and God will always use suffering to subvert the devil's plans. And on the flip side, get you to trust God more. Suffering will come, but sometimes you must actually choose it. Sometimes you will choose to die. You will die to self and live for Christ. Jesus says that if you want to follow me, you must take up your own cross. You must take it up. You must die to self and live for me. Jesus says that if you live in the church of the kingdom of God, if you, if you devote yourself to the embassy of God's grace, you may suffer. You will have to sacrifice your own whims and desires for the good of others and the glory of God. You must fight against your sin and be held accountable when you don't. You must give your money, your time, and maybe even your safety to bring the gospel to the lost. Coming into the church is not for the faint of heart. The church will ask you to die. Last, the church will help you. That's an odd thing to say. Isn't that a good thing? The church will help you. 
I think though for most, especially in our culture, in our day and age, it is the most terrifying thing in the world to be helped, to relent. To be helped means saying, I cannot do this on my own. I have failed, I have lost, and I need others to support me. That is hard to say, terrifying to live out, and it's because we're individualists. It is, you, it is very easy to come into a church and stay on an island. But to come into a church means coming in and saying, I got nothing. I am spiritually poor, and I need your care and support. It is to bear what the church, it is to, it is to be, it is to have the others bear up your problems, your suffering. It is to be served, to have your feet washed, metaphorically. Can you imagine having your fellow believers wash your dirty laundry? Can you imagine them coming and seeing behind the veneer of your outer self and seeing down to the real you? Can you imagine confessing your sins, things that no one else knows about? Can you imagine the church week after week after year after year pointing you to Jesus saying, you've got nothing. You must trust him. If so, then the church is for you. Just a quick story to end. Pastor in Florida a few years ago tragically lost his daughter. She was 12. She died from an illness. And if that was not bad enough, just two years after that, his wife succumbed to cancer, and he was left. He and his five other children were left. She died on a, on a Saturday. He was set to preach the next day. She died on a Saturday. And so the church quickly made accommodation so that they could keep the worship service going because they assumed that he would not be there. But at 9.55, they looked down, and the pastor was there sitting in the front row. An elder went, ran up to him and said, hey, hey, you do not have to be here. We have, we have everything covered. Someone's going to preach. Someone's going to cover the music. It's all good. Go home and grieve with your family. And the pastor responded, I cannot imagine being any other place today. Here is my family. So outside, right outside this door, we have a, a poster it is our welcome to you, and it reads this, and we believe this. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and to whoever will come, this church opens wide her doors and offers her welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why bother with the church? Why bother with the church? You can ask that this week for yourself. Let's pray together. God, now as we go to communion, as we go with the family of God, the church universal, the church local, to remember what you have done, with, done for us, would you bless us? God, I am reminded that there are so many people in this room, there are so many acquaintances of the people in this room who have been burned by the church, who have seen the church do terrible, horrible things. 
I can't account for that. I know you are sovereign, but I can't tell them why that has happened. And so I simply would ask that you would speak to them, that you would comfort them, and that you would remind them that you are good, not the people of God. You are good. Bring them back into this fold. God, for those who are struggling with why to come to church, those who are struggling with sticking it out at one place, God, I pray for them. Would you bring them mercy? Would you remind them again of the great truths of your word? Remind them again that you gave the church to this world for your glory and for our good. And God, I have to end by praying this way. A lot of the things I said this morning, we are not living up to. We are not living up to all the things that you have called us to. And so we need your help. God, would you make this place a place of grace? Make this a place that bears your name in the best ways. Help us to do this, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.